1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. For who makes you, uh, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Particularly that middle phrase. What do you have that you did not receive? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. The concept of stewardship, as you can see by the title up there. It's not a surprise to you what it is. I think it's in your bulletin as well. Stewardship is not a foreign, strange, or weird concept. It's something that from a young age, whether you're a child, babies, uh, teenage years especially, something that you know inherently what it means. If you're at the mall and you're eating food at the food court, rip those early days, the mall no longer exists anymore in general. But if you're at the food court, you're with friends, um, a lot of times, for whatever reason, when people are at the table, what do they do? Put your phone on the table, and what do you do? Hey, uh, I've got to use the bathroom. Can you watch my phone really quick? I'll be right back. That is called stewardship, right? If you're still at the table, this phone is not yours. You're just simply there. You're watching over it. You're guarding it until said individual returns. And a more extreme example, if you will, for those of you who have ever house sat before or house sitting, right, you know that that is not your house. Even though the owner may have told you, feel free to choose whatever bed to sleep in, you know, turn the TV on, here's the passwords to Netflix and all this kind of stuff. Feel free to eat any of the food in the pantry, in the fridge. You may be able to enjoy all of that, but you know good and well that house is not your house. At the end of the day, you're simply watching it for a short time until the owner returns. So as we as a church, if you weren't aware, here's the awareness. We are walking through what's known as the Baptist faith and message. This is a doctrinal statement that um, different churches individually have uh, corporately said, hey, this is what we believe, this is what we confess. And in the Baptist faith and message, we're walking through it. What does it say? What, what do we believe as a church? What should we believe? What are some things that we can rally around? There's an entire section there devoted to stewardship. It's kind of weird. When I think of a doctrinal statement, I usually don't think, what does the church say about stewardship? Um, but that shouldn't necessarily be the case because stewardship is really, I believe, foundational to the Christian life. And whether or not a pastor says it every Sunday from the pulpit, the concept of stewardship really is an underlying current throughout all of the Christian life because it's all about living a godly life to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what a good steward is, as we'll see in just a few moments. And what the Baptist faith and message says, we're going to read it together collectively at the end. It's not exhaustive. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. And even from a secular standpoint, as those examples I just gave, it's easy to understand on an intellectual level what stewardship is. Nevertheless, as we close out this year, my hope and my goal is that we as a church and you as individuals would be more faithful in our stewardship of what God has given us in 2024. My hope and my, our goal is to be more faithful, to be more biblical as God's stewards in 2024. And yes, Stewardship is very simple to understand. Here's the, the essence of it. God owns everything. I'm his steward. Okay, you got that? It's pretty simple to get that, right? But isn't it the simple things in life 
that we need to be reminded of the most often. It's the things we take for granted. It's the things that, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love God. I know I'm supposed to read the Word. Well, you need constant reminders. I do too. We need constant reminders of these basic things in the Christian life. And it also applies with stewardship. If you've heard countless sermons on stewardship, generosity, money, all that in general, or if you're a new Christian, and this is new to you, this, concept, this phrase, stewardship, if you really believed it, if you really believed what the Bible says about this, your life would be radically transformed by the way you live. So our goal, if you know it, well then believe it. If you believe it, live it out. Okay, pretty simple. So let's dive right in. The sermon in a sentence is this. The three points are packed into this one statement, all right? Number one, God owns it all. We are his stewards. Steward his gospel to multiply true wealth. What's the sermon in a sentence? God owns everything. We are his stewards. Steward his gospel well to multiply true wealth. Let's unpack each of those phrases one by one. Number one, God owns everything. He owns it all. We find this at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created heaven, the heavens and the earth. This is what's known as, in a Christian sense, the intellectual property, right? God is the creator. He owns it. He owns what he created. Okay? Pretty simple, pretty basic. Fast forward a little bit. We see this all throughout the Bible. Leviticus 25, verse 23. The Israelites, God's people, they're preparing to enter the promised land. And God speaks to the Israelites and tells them, the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. So in a sense, right, sometimes we talk about and hear about God's giving the promised land to Israel. Is that true? Yes, right? But technically, fundamentally, what did God say? This land is mine. I'm leasing it to you, if you will. You're going to live there and you're supposed to take care of it. Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Moses tells all of God's people, all of the Israelites, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what the king said. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands and strength are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. God owns everything. Job chapter 41, verse 11. The grand conclusion of that book. God is correcting Job about his faulty, warped thinking, his warped heart. And correcting Job basically by saying, Job, I'm the sovereign, period. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one in power. Not only that, I'm good. And God is instructing, reminding Job of this basic truth. And then in Job 41 verse 11, God tells him this. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. In other words, God is saying, I'm in debt to no one. I don't owe anybody a thing because I own everything. Psalm 24, verse 1. This is a famous one, especially if you've known it in the King James Version. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and everything in it. 
Not a little bit. God doesn't own a little slice of, the, of this earth. He doesn't own the USA or the nation of Israel or here, fill in the blank. He owns the entire earth. And he doesn't just own a couple of people, a handful of people. It says everyone is the Lord's. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 12. God says, Every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Church, do you get the picture? Right? Do you get the picture? It's pretty simple. But it is fundamental to the Christian life. Okay? God owns everything. He owns absolutely everything. Leads us to number two, the concept of we are stewards. We are God's stewards. All right, right, Jimmy D, God owns everything. Well, I own my shoes. I own my my clothes. Uh, The deed to my house, it's in my name. Uh, My Bible has my initials on it. What are you talking about God owns everything? I own this kind of stuff. Well, yes, in a sense, you do own stuff, okay? Surely your license that has your picture and your name on it, yes, that's yours, that is not mine, okay? That's pretty simple. But fundamentally, you do not own a dime. You have nothing to your name, fundamentally. What do I mean by that? You are a steward of everything God has blessed you with. What is a steward? A steward is simply someone who faithfully and diligently manages someone else's stuff. Say that again. A steward is someone who faithfully and diligently manages what is not theirs. We see this throughout the Bible, beginning all the way back in Genesis. I think most every sermon I preached on the Baptist faith and message, different doctrines, I've alluded to Genesis in one point or another because Genesis is so important to our Christian walk and Christian understanding. But in Genesis, what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. In particular, he created the Garden of Eden. He set up Adam and Eve as the property managers, if you will. Take care of the garden. Steward it. Manage it. It's not your garden. It's mine. This is not your earth. It's mine. You're just taking care of it. We see this in Je- with, um, later on in Genesis with Joseph. Remember Joseph in Egypt? Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, right? Before that, Joseph was the manager or the steward of Potiphar's house. Potiphar's belongings. He was supposed to manage it, steward it well. And in Luke 19, if you want to turn there, just so you can see it with your eyes, Luke 19, uh, verse 11 and following, this is when, right on the heels of Jesus uh, having that encounter with Zacchaeus, who's Zacchaeus, he's a greedy, money-hungry lustful tax collector who is oppressing people, uh, charging them crazy, enormous uh, fees for you know, paying their taxes and stuff. Very greedy man. But nonetheless, he was repentant before Christ, repentant before the others. Uh, God saved him. Jesus saved him, did a work in his heart. So on the conversation, the topic, the, the idea of money, Jesus continues with this parable of the ten minas, it's called. So, in Luke 19, Jesus tells about a man of royalty. He's going away to be crowned as king. Now, while this man of royalty is away, 
he calls ten of his servants to himself with a gift and a responsibility. All right, ten servants here, come here. I want to give you something, but I'm also ca- calling you to do something with it. So the, the man of royalty, he gives each of them a mina, which is one mina is about three months wage. So let's say today's world, let's say you're making 50000 a year. That's roughly $12,500, okay? I'm giving you twelve, thirteen thousand $13,000. Here you go. Put this money to work. Put it to work. Invest it. And then when I come back, we'll settle up. We'll see how things went. We'll see what, how you have stewarded what I've given you. Luke 19, verse 15, tells us that the king returned home and sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Now listen to the very precise wording of how the first servant responds to this man. Sir, your mina has earned 10 more. In other words, he's saying, this 12,500, I've made it earn $125,000, right? A thousand percent return on investment. I'm sure all of us would like to invest a high yield savings account in something like that. It's crazy. But what did he say? Your mina, your money. He didn't say, my money earned you this. He said, your money earned you this. This man understood what stewardship was. He was entrusted to it for a short time. This money is not his, but he was entrusted with it for a short time, and he's called to invest it or to multiply it. So for you and I today, everything in your life, absolutely everything, the $50 bill in your wallet, the $1,000 in the bank, the stove in your house, the Toyota RAV4 in your park driveway. Which I've always, quick aside, why do we park in driveways and drive in parkways? Right? You don't know. But anyways, everything you have, okay? Everything you have is his. You don't own it. You didn't buy it fundamentally, right? Again, fundamentally. It's his. You are stewarding it until he returns. But then... It's not just about objects. It's not just about your money. It's about your very own life, your own body. In today's world, we live in the the culture in America, it's all about that autonomy, right? Personal bodily autonomy. Nobody tells me what to do with my own body. That's championed in two ways, both with regards to abortion and with regards to kind of vaccines and medicine, right? Nobody tells me what to do. But even biblically speaking, what does 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 tell us? God is speaking to his people, and what does he say? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. In other words, your own body isn't even yours, technically. It's God's, on loan to you, and you are called to steward it, use it well for his purposes. What does that mean? That means your health, your talents, your energy, your voice, your ability to think, your eyesight, your ability to walk, your ability to hear, your spiritual gifts, your salvation, everything in your being that's not a tangible object. You are called to use all of these things to steward them for the glory of God until he returns. A simple way to categorize it in terms of stewardship, you've probably heard this before, but it's your time, your talents, and your treasures. Those are the three big categories that you're called to steward. Your time, your talents, and your treasures, or 
your possessions. Now think about stewardship. Using the examples I gave earlier, like when you're at the mall, you're watching somebody's phone, or you're at somebody's house, you're house-sitting, what does that entail? I think oftentimes when you might think of stewardship, at least on the surface, you think about the concept of guarding, right? You guard something. You hunker down, you hold on to it, you make sure nobody else touches it. You make sure nobody else can harm it, right? If there's high winds and heavy rains outside, hey, can you hold um, my bag or hold my purse while I run back to the car? What do you do? You hold on to it. That's what a good steward does, okay? You just hold on to it, make sure it doesn't get damaged, blown away. But that's not the biblical concept of stewardship, per se. It's not just about hunkering down, holding on to everything with a tight fist, making sure nothing can damage it. Right? If that were the case, well, well, then I'm just going to put as much money in my bank account as I can. I'm not going to give to the church, give to anything. I'm just going to hunker down, hold on, guard it. First Peter 4.10 gives us an understanding of what we're supposed to do. First Peter 4.10 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Biblical stewardship is about serving others. And if you combine that truth in 1 Peter 4.10 with the truth in Luke 19, you could say that biblical stewardship is about serving others by multiplying true wealth. Okay? Stewardship is about serving others by multiplying true wealth. And that leads us to the third and final thing, Steward his gospel to multiply true wealth. You might be asking, all right, how do we serve others? What are you talking about true wealth? What are you talking about multiply true wealth? Where do you get that from? What are you talking about? Well, you see, it's important to ask that because there's a lot of people in the world that ask, or they like to say this statement. I just want to serve people. I just want to help people. Have you ever heard that before? That's not a bad thing to say, Right? That's a good thing, even secular atheists to say. That's a good thing for them to say as opposed to this whole life is about me. I want to self-serve myself, right? It's good and okay if people say, I want to help others. But the real question is, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? Help. Help in what way? You want to serve others, that's great. Serve them in what way? To what, for what purpose? To what end do you want to serve them? And so, how do we serve others? What is true wealth? How do we multiply it? Let me work in reverse, all right? See if I can help you here. Firstly, what is true wealth? Pose that one to you all, right? What is true wealth? Someone take a stab at it. What is true wealth? Knowing God? Yeah. It is. It's, again, it's, y'all don't need to be afraid. It's not rocket science, right? I just want you all to think and to own this, okay? I want you all to own this. True wealth is knowing God. It's having that personal friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. True wealth is not about money. It's not about the size of your house or the, how new your car is or the size of your retirement account. True wealth is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The most valuable thing you have is that relationship with him. And as 1 Peter 4.10 tells us, right, we are called to steward God's grace. Steward God's grace. 
kind of a rhetorical question. What's the clearest expression of God's grace in your life? The clearest, most precious, valuable gift of grace that he's given you, right? The gospel. It's that friendship, that part, the connection, that relationship with Jesus. So the man or the woman who does not have a house, who does not have a car, who does not have any savings, who doesn't even have food, but who has hope in Christ, they are truly wealthy, biblically speaking. So then, to help others, to serve others, the greatest way that we can do that is by helping them have true wealth. You follow that? You, you follow that, the flow of thought there? The greatest way that you can really help others and serve others is by helping them experience and enjoy true wealth. And this is both for Christian and non-Christian alike, right? Biblically speaking, to serve others, that means helping those who have no relationship with Jesus, who have no friendship, no connection with Jesus, helping them to have that true wealth, first and foremost. Right? This is Christ. Here's a relationship with him. Here's the gospel message. But it's also about Christians as well. It's helping Christians enjoy that true wealth they have. Right? We, if you're a Christian today, you have that true wealth. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. It's stored up in heaven for you. And a large part of the Christian life is encouraging one another and reminding each other, hey, rejoice in your salvation. Be joyful because of your salvation. So it's about helping those have it who don't and helping those who do have it enjoy it. And this has many different faces to it. This looks, it's so um, all-encompassing. Stewardship means sending $50 a month to Vita Impact Missions to facilitate their work in planting churches. Stewardship means using your time to advocate for the sanctity of life for those who are pondering abortion. Stewardship means supporting the local church in its endeavors to proclaim the truth and be a beacon of truth. Stewardship means using your mind to learn a new language with the intent of translating the Bible into that new language, right? You see what I mean? Stewardship is far more than just about your wallet. It's far more than just about your money. It's about your time, your talents, and your treasures, right? Stewardship, if you will, is the foundation. And then any kind of sermons or topics on the topic of giving, that's a fruit. That's an outworking of what stewardship is in the doctrine of what it is. And entire sermons can be preached on each of those realms. How do I steward my voice well for God's glory? Well, sing psalms as unto the Lord, speak truth and love. How do I steward my home for the glory of God? Practice hospitality, open up your home, break bread with others. How do I steward God, uh, the money that God has given me? Well, there's wisdom behind tithing, right? Give generously to the local church and to Bible-centered ministries, so on and so forth, all right? You get that. But brothers and sisters, as we wrap up, please remember, stewardship is about using his gifts, your time, your talents, and your treasures to multiply true wealth. It's not about holding on to it, hunkering down. It's about using everything God has given you to invest it in others, to help others experience and enjoy true wealth, which is what? a relationship with the true giver of all good gifts, the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, 
How many of you have heard of John Wesley before? So John Wesley, if you're unfamiliar with him, he's an English preacher from the 1700s. He was the founder of the Methodist movement and consequently the Wesleyan movement, the Nazarene movement. Those are all kind of subsets of the Methodist movement. Uh, John Wesley's brother, Charles Wesley, was the author of, or the, he wrote, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. And we just sang it a couple of weeks ago. He also wrote, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So John Wesley, well, one day his house burned down to the ground. This is in the 1700s. Some people found John and said to him, Hey, John, we're, sorry, we're very sorry to tell you this, but your house just burned down to the ground. John Wesley replied, That's impossible. No, John, your house burned down to the ground. Again, that's impossible. John, we saw it with our own eyes. Your house is gone. That's impossible. You see, I don't own a house. God gave me a place to live in. I only manage that house for Him. If He didn't put out the fire, well then that's His problem. He'll have to put me somewhere else. So brothers and sisters, it's a wonderful testimony of this truth I'm talking about. God owns everything. Your very life, your house, your home, your money, everything. He owns it all. We are His stewards. And as we enter 2024, I hope that we all will be better stewards of what he's given us. And so that we can multiply true wealth. Stated differently, we can spread the gospel. We can enjoy the gospel more in our own lives and around the world. So church, if you will, um, go, to, go to the next slide. This is what we, is in the BF and M, about what, what many churches, many individuals, many people confess about stewardship. So we... Recite this with me, if you will. God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and are, we owe to Him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve Him with their time talents, and material possessions, and should recognize all these as entrusted to them to use for the glory of God and for helping others. According to the Scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. final prayer. Our Father, please help us to know your word. Please help us to love your word. Please help us to live out your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.